0: So today for the sermon, we're actually going to take a little one-week pause from the series that we've been in. We've been looking at the church and sort of digging deep there, looking at at the church and church life and what should that be and and, and look like. But we're going to take a pause uh, and I'll sort of explain why. Initially, I had this sermon planned for next week may not realize it, maybe you do, but that's Valentine's Day. Next Sunday's Valentine's Day. So I was thinking, you know, we can take a one-week pause for Valentine's Day and come back to our our series after that. And with it being Valentine's Day, we can talk about about marriage and have a sermon sort of appropriately themed for that day. But then as I was thinking about it and what I'd preach on specifically in the thought of, well, I'd like to have an application where for all of us who are married, husbands and wives, to sort of challenge us in some sort of way to, to outwardly show our, our, our love, our appreciation for, for our spouses, to do sort of something above and beyond the normal is this outward show of love and gratitude and appreciation. And then I was thinking, well, if I, if I do that on Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day is certainly naturally a time to do that, to sort of outwardly show your your love, your affection, your appreciation. And if I preach that on Valentine's Day, you don't really have a whole lot of time to then maybe make plans if you didn't have plans or sort of go above and beyond. So I figured, why don't I do this a week early? And that way it gives us a week, not that this has to be done on Valentine's Day, but it's a natural time, but it gives us a week, some time to really sort of think about it, to to make some sort of nice plan for Valentine's Day or some other day to do sort of something above and beyond as that outward show of of love and and affection and appreciation and gratitude for our spouses. So if you're thinking, well, Pastor Steve, why this week, why not next week? That seems to make more sense. That's why. Uh, And then also, before we sort of get into Scripture and look deeply at, at marriage, Uh, there might be some who are sort of thinking you know oh you know pastor steve i'm not married so is this like a time for me to get you know a little nap maybe i didn't sleep as well last night and you know a, a little extra nap sounds pretty good i'd say you know no not not the time for that i'd say Uh, Certainly, this is particularly focused on on a sermon for for those who who are married, but maybe you're not married, but very likely could be in the future. Well, this is something for you to think of and listen to and sort of store away as great information to have in your mind for that day when maybe you hope to be married. Or maybe you're thinking, like, still that's not me. You know, I'm not married and I don't think that that's something that's going to come down the road for me. I'd say even still there's something here for you because the reality is we're going to look at all these biblical principles that, that when applied to a marriage will enable that marriage to grow and mature and deepen and thrive all the more. But these biblical principles, it's not like they hold only for a marriage and then they're useless for any other relationship, but rather in fact, they apply to really all relationships. And so I'd say, if you're not married, if you don't think you're going to be, don't ignore this all, but just sort of hear this all maybe in a different sense of, well, how can I apply these biblical principles? We're gonna talk about love and, and humility, just to name a couple and say, well, how can I apply those to other relationships? Whether that's thinking of maybe a relationship with a friend or maybe it's, you know, a a child or a brother or a nephew or you name it and say, well, how can I grow in love in that relationship? Or how can I exhibit humility, just to use those examples that we are going to talk about, you know, in in other relationships and in my life. So you can even think outside of marriage and, and much of this will still apply to other relationships. So don't take a little snooze for this, but listen and apply it in that sense, even if you're not married. But now we can sort of take take a good look at marriage here, and of course we want to look at it from a biblical perspective, and what I want us to do is really start in the beginning, and so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Genesis, go all the way back to the beginning there, to Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading here verses 18 through 25, and let me read it. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and they felt no shame." And what we have here is effectively the first marriage. This is God instituting marriage, right? God creates everything here, and it's good, and it's perfect, and it's glorious, but there's still sort of something that could even take it to an even better level. It would even be all the more wondrous and blessed for man, right? Here's man, and there's all these these animals, and that's wonderful, and that's great, but there isn't sort of this suitable helper. And it's not like this surprised God, like he thought, you know, man was going to be fine with all these animals. This was always got part of God's plan, right? And he realizes, you know, I'm going to create this suitable helper for man. The, the animals, they're wonderful, they're great, but they're not that, that partner that God ultimately intends for man. And so what does he do? Of course, he makes woman out of that rib from, from Adam's side uh, and makes woman. And ultimately what winds up happening is they're married, even if that, that, doesn't, that exact word doesn't show up here as though they're married, but it, it's quite clear. That's what happens. You have the first man, the first woman, and they are united together into one singular unit. They become one flesh and they are married, right? This is God instituting at the moment that he creates woman, man having already been created, he now institutes this wondrous thing that is marriage, And I want us, as we read this passage, as we go back to the beginning and, and go back to the origins of marriage when God first established it and instituted it, and think about it and realize this is really a wondrous gift from God. It's so easy in life to to kind of take things for granted and maybe you just sort of think marriage, that's just sort of like a reality. You know, marriage has been happening before you were ever on this earth and it continues to go on and on and maybe you've been married for a long time and again, it's just sort of, that's part of daily life and you just sort of take it for granted. But to really pause and think, this is a wonderful blessing from the Lord. He, He didn't have to do it this way. He didn't have to institute marriage and yet he did as this wondrous gift to man and to woman. And, and I want each and every one of us, as we think of, we'll come back to this at application at the end of the sermon, but I'll sort of say it now, but just to have that response, just to give God thanks and praise for this wondrous gift. For, for marriage generally, but even a little more specifically, to give God thanks for your specific spouse, your husband, your wife, and just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this wondrous thing called marriage that you instituted, that you gave to mankind as this wondrous gift. Thank you for it, and, and thank you for my spouse in particular, and just what a wondrous gift, Lord, and I just want to thank you for that blessing. But but I want to talk sort of more fully about marriage, not just talk about its origins and that it's a gift from God. But but as I think of sort of the landscape of marriage in, at, here at New Hope Chapel, I'd say we're a church that has just abundant, healthy marriages. You know, there are churches out there where you know, in the, you know, in those churches, marriages are struggling. People are sort of floundering and struggling. There's divorce that's rampant. Just think of sort of the American church and in regard to divorce. The church isn't really doing much better than the rest of the world, right? And so even within the church, marriages tend to, to be often in jeopardy and struggling. But I'd say it's not the case here for New Hope Chapel. I mean, we have just so many strong, long-lasting marriages, and that certainly is a gift and a blessing from the Lord. People who are celebrating, you know, it's 40th anniversary or whatever you know that that's not uncommon here that's pretty mainstream and that that's the norm and we want to give God thanks for that Uh, but the reality is that doesn't mean those marriages are perfect they might be really great and strong but it doesn't mean they can't be greater and better and still improved upon we're all broken, fallen creatures. We're sinful. Our spouses are as well. And when you take two broken, fallen people and, you know, you bring them together, there's going to be some degree of brokenness in that union, in that marriage. And so even if we have great marriages, there's room for growth. And so I want us to really focus on that and say, how, how can we grow? in our marriage? How can, we, how can I be a better husband or how can I be a better wife? If, you know, For me, that's not the case. I'm, I'm a husband, better husband for me. But for you, if you're the wife, to say, how can I be a, a better wife? You know, how can I improve this marriage? How can I carry out my role all the more faithfully? Right? How can we see our marriage thrive all the more? And what I want us to do is look at some biblical principles that, that, that are biblical principles for a healthy marriage and to say, if we live these out, all the more fully, all the better. Not to say you're not living them out to some extent already, undoubtedly you are, but if we grow in these areas of these five biblical principles that we look at, our marriages are naturally going to deepen and and mature and grow and thrive all the more. And so I wanna challenge us in this regard to really live these out. And so we're gonna take a look at scripture and and speak to some of these biblical principles for a healthy marriage that will cause our marriages to grow if we live them out more faithfully. And first we're gonna look at, as you'd probably expect, love. Right, if you kind of think of a marriage without love present, it doesn't sound like much of a marriage at all. You can't imagine that. That's probably not going to last too long, right? It's sort of fundamental and at the core of, of what a marriage is. There has to be love present. And I want to read for us, looking at Scripture, first, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. And here's what it says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right, so husbands, guys, that's us, we're to love our wives. And then we're, we're given sort of further clarification. What, what, what kind of love are we talking about? How, how deep, how profound? Well, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is a tall order, right? Probably all of us could say, yeah, you know, I love my wife, you know, and I love her in a great way. But do we reach that standard of that real Christ-like love? Think of how he loved us going to a cross for us taking up our, our sin, our punishments, that we can be forgiven and set free, right? Do we have that kind of love where we're willing to just so profoundly sacrifice of ourselves for, for our wives, right? The reality is we don't live out that perfect love, even if we have great love, and, and we can challenge ourselves as husbands to say, hey, we need to grow in this. We need to have greater and greater love for our wives as we are called to. But I don't want to say, hey, wives, you're off the hook. You know, it's just husbands. Only husbands have to love their wives. And, you know, wives don't have to love their husbands. Of course, that's not the case. And in fact, I want to turn now to John chapter 13, verse 34. And of course, this is not said to wives. I want us to understand the context here is not that of marriage and this being said to wives. But it doesn't mean it doesn't apply to wives and to marriages. And here's what John 13, 34 says. Jesus speaking, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So here he's talking to the disciples. Certainly to, this applies to Christians generally. And, and, and what's said, hey, you're to love one another. Really, any relationship, this is what you should be exhibiting. You should be living out love for that other person. And what kind of love? Well, he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Right? He's saying, hey, you're to follow my example. The way that I've loved you. Giving of myself in love, going to a cross, dying there for you to set you free from sin, that wondrous self-sacrificial love, that's the love you're to have for others. And again, that applies to any relationship, and so certainly it applies to wives in regard to husbands. So it's not like this is just for husbands to do, even if they're singled out in Ephesians, as we read. Nonetheless, it it goes for wives as well. This is something that needs to be lived out in a marriage, love, And, and not just sort of some lower version of love that the world might want to appropriate, but rather, no, this is a Christian version of love, a, a Christ-like version of love, profoundly self-sacrificial. It's not sort of self-seeking and self-serving and selfish. That, that's sort of often the world's version of love, but no, this is a, a Christ-like love where you're willing to give and give and give of yourself for your spouse, and that's the type of love we are called to have. And again, it's not to say that you don't have that to a certain extent. I'd imagine if you have a marriage and it's fairly healthy and you're going on 30 years or whatever, you know, probably there's pretty good love in that marriage, undoubtedly. But again, doesn't mean we can't grow. And I want to challenge us just to strive to to grow in love, to say, yeah, you know, I love my wife or I I love my husband, but I got to grow in that. There are times in which I I know I could love my spouse better and in a greater way, in a more Christ-like way, and just to strive for that, to see that marriage grow and mature and deepen and thrive all the more. But I want us to look at other biblical principles as well. And we're going to take a look at the topic of humility. And I, I want to read for us now Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And again, here the case is This isn't speaking to marriages specifically. It's not like that's the context. And here Paul's writing and he's talking about marriage. But, but that doesn't mean that these principles don't apply to marriages. They, they certainly do. And so here's what he says. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Right here, certainly, just generally speaking, not just in marriages, humility is what we ought to be exhibiting, what we should be living out. He says, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. But, but I think if I think just sort of even in my own experience of, of looking at marriages or relationships or whether it's times in, in counseling others or premarital counseling or whatever, uh, often I would say one of the things that really causes a lot of destruction and, and division and breakdown in a marriage is pride on the part of both the husband, the wife, it could be one, the other, often it can be both. And I feel that often that, that's one of those great things that tears marriages apart. And in place of pride, we need to seek humility. And let me just sort of give an example, just sort of to, to play it through. If you think of, you know, a husband and a wife, and they're both prideful, what, what sort of naturally flows out of that? First of all, you probably think, I'm just the greatest thing. I'm so prideful. I'm like the center of the world. Who's better than I am? I'm so wonderful. And, and you're naturally going to make everything about you. And now imagine your spouse feels quite the same way about him or herself, and he or she's saying, I'm the greatest thing, and everything's about me. Right? There's just going to be a real butting of heads and great conflict in, in, in that situation. Not only is there sort of this, it's all about me, I'm the greatest thing, but often it's, I know what's best. I'm always right. It's always my way or the highway. I know better than you. And again, a butting of heads and, and friction there. And oftentimes, and this is especially often where you, where you see the breakdown, is in, in this prideful attitude, there's this feeling of, I can't lose any sort of battle or argument. To somehow lose some, if you and your spouse, you're disagreeing about something, in this great pride, often what takes over is this, I just have to win. Whether I'm right, whether I'm wrong, it doesn't matter. I just have to win because if I somehow lose that, that battle, it's like my ego, my pride just takes a hit and I can't handle that. And so you have these two parties, husband and wife, and both are just sort of like digging in their heels. I just have to win, I have to win no matter what. And what does that do? It just destroys marriages, it destroys relationships. But on the flip side, when you see humility taking root in a wonderful way in a marriage, a humble husband, a humble wife, right? First of all, you have a healthy, humble view of yourself. You're not gonna think you're the greatest thing in the world and make it all about you. You're not gonna think you have the answer to everything and it's always my way because I'm right, right? And when there's friction or there's disagreements over something, the reality is in humility, you're gonna say, I don't have to win. It's not all about me and getting the W, I need the win for my pride it's sort of in humility you say i'm willing to yield i'm willing to defer i'm willing to compromise because you don't feel pridefully like you have to win that battle right humility is so important in marriages in in any relationship in any situation we ought to be exhibiting humility but certainly as we think of of a marriage it's just something that needs to be present there for there to be this wondrous healthy thriving relationship and in fact, uh, uh, tying in sort of with the next topic that we're going to talk about, which is really putting your spouse's interests above your own, uh, we even see that a little bit here in, in this passage that we just read, but then I'll read another. But I'll read the end of, of what we read, Philippians 2, I'll read verse 4. It says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And now I want to read 1 Corinthians ten twenty four, And here Paul, still writing, writes, nobody should seek his own good but the good of others. And again, in in both of these cases, it's not speaking to marriages specifically, but it readily applies to marriages, right? If a marriage is characterized by just seeking your own interests, it's just sort of this selfish mindset. It's all about me and my interests, you know, my stake in anything, and and that's all. Again, it's not going to be some healthy marriage, it's gonna, you're going to be tearing the marriage apart as two parties, the husband, the wife are just trying to get whatever they want out of any situation, not caring about the other, and it's just going to cause great division and, and devastation. But rather, we're told nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others, right? And imagine living that out in a marriage where you say, it's not all about me, it's not about my own interests, but I'm willing to sort of set aside my own interests and put my spouse's interests first and ahead of my own. Right, what naturally plays out in that is is, first of all, there's just going to be a, a wondrous bonding of the couple together is, is the husband saying, "You know, "Hey, Han, I, I don't care. I don't care what I want in this. I just want you to be happy, whatever you want. I, I'm good with that And then the wife's sort of saying the same thing, "No, no, no, I'm just concerned about you and looking out for you, whatever you want." Right, As you see that other person, your, your husband, your wife, concerned about you, looking out for you, that's just going to deepen that bond and connection of love and affection and, and appreciation for one another as that's taking place. Right, it's going to draw you together. It's going to cause a, a health and, and vibrancy to result in that marriage. But if you also even think about it, right, the reality is if you're looking out for your spouse's interests and then they're looking out for your interests, in effect, ultimately, at the end of the day, your own interests actually still wind up being taken care of. It's just not by you. And so not only as you're looking out for the interests of others, are you, are you going to bring this great health and, and thriving and vibrancy to your marriage? But as an added bonus, your own interests will ultimately still get taken care of, just not by you, but rather by your spouse who's looking out for you. Right? And so that's an important a uh, principle to be seeing and living out in, in a healthy marriage. If we want to see our marriages grow and thrive, we can't be sort of self-centered, looking out just for me and, and sort of my stake in things, my own self-interest, but rather we need to set ourselves aside and say, no, I'm going to put my spouse's interests above my own. And now I want us to turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, and here we're going to see our next principle, which is needing to be quick to forgive. And again, this is, again, not a context of speaking to marriage specifically, it's just speaking generally, but but how much certainly so it applies to marriages as well. Colossians 3.13, here's what it says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And, and you know, we live in a world that I'd say seems like struggles to forgive, struggles to sort of let wrongs go and sort of leave it in the past and just extend forgiveness and, and, you know, hey, I'll forgive, I won't harbor a grudge. We sort of live in a world that seems to want to hold on to every wrong, uh, remember it, hold that grudge and, and let bitterness take root. And when that happens in a marriage, if you see a marriage where it's sort of the husband, the wife, it's like they hang on to every wrong that's ever been committed. And certainly there are going to be wrongs. Again, I mentioned this before, but you take a sinful husband, a sinful wife, put them together expect. You know there to be issues. Expect the husband at times to do things that aren't right or wrong, and for the wife to do things that aren't that, that that aren't right, that are wrong, cause some sort of offense to to the husband or to the wife. You just should should expect that. But then the question is how are, are how are the couple how are they going to respond to that? And all too often the response is just to to fail to let it go, just to hold on to that to. to Just harbor resentment. Let let that unforgiveness just sort of take root within one. It it sort of festers there as you continue to harbor that grudge and and that bitterness takes root. And over time, it just grows and it grows and it grows and and just tears marriages apart, right? If you want a, a marriage to thrive and be healthy, you have to extend forgiveness. You have to be quick to forgive. And we're told in this passage, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We have been wondrously forgiven, In Christ, and how can we then go and and sort of hold on to some sort of wrong and fail to forgive when our spouse does some wrong to us? We need to be quick to extend that forgiveness, and not only quick to forgive, but thinking of the same subject, also quick to ask for forgiveness. Maybe you know it's not the case that that you were wronged and you need to give forgiveness, that'll happen at times, but maybe it's the case that you were the one who committed the offense, and in that case, you need to be quick to acknowledge the wrong that you've done. Uh, say you're sorry, apologize, and ask for forgiveness. And then it's the other person's role to extend that forgiveness, and quickly so. And again, probably, you know, the case is most of us probably live this out pretty well. Again, we have a lot of wonderful and healthy marriages. You know, for that to be the case, probably there's pretty good forgiveness taking place. You know, if you've got your 40th anniversary, probably there are plenty of wrongs that have happened over 40 years. But, but, you know, for you to still be together and loving one another and have a healthy marriage there's undoubtedly been plenty of forgiveness in those marriages. But I'd say it doesn't mean that we're perfect at it. I, I'm sure each and every one of us could think of times where, you know, maybe your spouse just did something that, that just annoyed you, or, you know, and, and just irritated you or you felt like they, they sort of wronged you in some way. And, and even if you don't hang on to it for a long time, you know, for the next hour you're just sort of in that sort of sour mood in bitter and just in you know just sort of holding it against your husband your wife whoever it is whichever case it is and just sort of harboring that resentment yeah the hour goes by and then you kind of let it go and you forgive but nonetheless we can be better than that we can say I shouldn't even hold on to that for that hour or two or whatever span of time it is I need to just extend that forgiveness right away as soon as that wrong is committed just wondrously graciously extend that forgiveness just as I've been wondrously forgiven and so we can challenge ourselves to grow in that area. And then I want to speak to one last uh, topic, one last subject here, the biblical principle for a healthy marriage, that if we want to see our marriages grow and thrive all the more, not to say they aren't thriving already, but, but all the more, we can strive to live out more. And, and this last principle is good communication. And, and I'd say for myself, I'm, I'm routinely surprised by the lack of good communication in a lot of marriages. Again, we have great marriages here at New Hope Chapel, so probably it's not some great struggle, but I can think of times, whether it's through counseling or or other times, premarital counseling is you have an engaged couple and you're sort of you know, doing some counseling with them or whatnot, where I just sort of am left baffled that it's like you've, you've never even communicated about these things, you've never talked about it. Uh, just to even use an example, not like mentioning names, it's not even anyone, anyone here at New Hope Chapel, but I can think of an instance of a couple and, you know, they've been together a couple years, they're getting married. You think surely they know one another really well, they, they've talked about all sorts of things, and just sort of going through the normal routines of premarital counseling and sort of well, bringing up the subject of kids and, you know, well, do you both want kids? have you talked about that and you know how many kids and it's just sort of like oh never thought of that that never came up in any of our discussions over two years and you think of you know you know you've been together for a couple years you've been engaged for a while you're getting married you'd sort of think that would come up at some point along the road it's kind of a big deal you know, and, and yet that, and I can think of so many other things, whether it's sort of, well, what are your roles in the marriage? You know, are you both going to work? Is one going to stay home with the kids? The other works? All these sorts of things, you know, different, all of that. It's just, it baffles me all the time that it's like people just don't seem to talk about things of, of substance. You know, they go to the movies, they chat about sort of superficial things, whatever, but there's no real deep, profound communication. And if you wanna see a, a healthy marriage, you need to communicate about things, things that are important. Certainly this times just to, to sort of shoot the breeze and, and chat about superficial things, and there can be an enjoyment in that, but there also needs to be time of communicating about things that are substantive, right? Whether it's what I just mentioned in that case of premarital counseling, and talk about do you want kids, or, or talk about roles in the marriage and how it's gonna work, or. Or whether it's talking about, you know, maybe issues in the marriage. Maybe this is something that your spouse is doing and it's like, it just, it just irritates you. It's like, you know, maybe you're the neat one in the couple and, and your spouse is like a little messy and sloppy and it's like, why do you always leave your clothing in a pile there or what, you know, but your spouse has no idea that that bothers you because you've never voiced it. You've never communicated. You just sort of bottle it up inside and, and it sort of grows and grows and grows and ultimately what sort of happens is you sort of like blow up over something that's really a little issue, but because you've never communicated about it, it becomes a big issue. Uh, And so I think oftentimes a failure in in communication and having good communication is just not communicating at all. But I'd say the reality is sometimes the breakdown is is not in a failure to communicate at all, but sort of how one communicates. And, And there are couples that I can think of, again, I'm not talking here at New Hope Chapel, but it's like their preferred method of communicating is sort of like a shouting match and they might be communicating they're voicing what's an issue for them they're voicing needs of theirs that aren't being met you know it's good to voice those things but but you need to voice them in a healthy way in a loving way and not sort of i'm just going to shout at you and then you're going to shout back at me and it becomes this big fight right communication is important but it needs to be done in in a healthy and whole way and I want to speak to another aspect of good communication that we see uh, in the book of James, and I'll read it for us. This is chapter 1, verse 19. Again, not the context of marriage itself. This isn't specifically for marriage, but nonetheless, it, it's rightfully, it rightfully can be applied to marriages. And here's what it says. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Right? Quick to listen, slow to speak. That's good advice, just in any setting. Again, this isn't for, for marriages specifically, but I'd say it's awfully good advice for a marriage as well. You know, Sometimes the failure in communicating is you're just not communicating about anything. You're not saying it. Sometimes it's the way you do it. It's, you're just sort of yelling and screaming. It's not a healthy way. But, but sometimes also the failure in communication can be, well, you're just doing all the talking and not doing any of the listening. And probably if Liz were here, this would be my guess. I didn't ask her ahead of time, but I think she'd probably say that that, that's me a little bit at times. I think there are times where we're talking and I'm sort of like dominating the conversation and she's like, can I get a word in at any point here? And that's sort of whether it's something of substance and important and she wants to share how she feels about something or maybe we're just talking about whatever and it's sort of like, is this like monologue? Are you preaching to me, Steve? Is this a sermon Or, or is it dialogue? And do I get to say something at some point or another? And so this is something I think I I certainly could stand to hear, uh, that that we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak, especially for those of us where maybe our tendency is we do all the talking, we dominate the conversation, and we sort of struggle to listen. Probably those of us uh, who are like that especially need to hear this. And again, when, when we speak of quick to listen, I'd say it needs to be really listening. I think there are times where maybe... We're not talking and maybe we'd claim that we're listening, but we're sort of there like, especially in our technological age, like we're there on our phones do, doing our thing. You know, you're playing like Candy Crush or whatever game or checking your emails or what's the weather going to be? And then your spouse is talking to you. I- I'm guilty of this. I-, I can say I've done this plenty of times. And, you know, there's Liz talking to me and I'm there like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I say, I say yes and uh-huh at all the right times that it seems like I'm really listening. You know, and then a minute goes by, and, and it's like, I don't know what she said. If she asks me some question to somehow respond to it, it's sort of like, I don't know, I didn't hear any of what you said. I was just acting like I was listening, but I wasn't. And, and there can be different degrees or shades of, of that, where maybe sometimes you're just tuning it all out because you're doing something else. Maybe sometimes you're half listening. But I think oftentimes we struggle to really listen and give our full attention Uh, to our spouse, and the reality is we we need to do that, right? We ought to be able to feel like we're heard by our our spouse, you know, whatever my needs are, my wants, or if I have some sort of issue, or maybe I just want to talk about something. I want to engage in a relationship and talk, uh, right? It's important to feel like you're heard, like like you have a say in things, and and your spouse hears you and cares enough about you to actually listen to you and wants to listen to you. And so it's important not just to do the talking. There's a time for talking and, and communicating in that way. But there's also a time for sort of saying, I need to close my mouth now, and maybe now is just sort of that time to listen as well and to follow the advice of James here, the advice of Scripture, to be quick to listen and slow to speak, as it says. But so now I want to sort of approach our application and say, what's our takeaway? Well, you know, if we sort of think of big picture, what are we going to take away here from here? What's our application? Uh, I want to come back first to Genesis. I said I'd, I'd come back to this application and, and I'm going to. And just say, let's just first give God thanks for the gift of marriage. To recognize, you know, God didn't have to do this. He didn't have to sort of set up this dynamic in, in, in humanity and for mankind where there's a husband and a wife. And here's the way it operates, right? And they're joined together and, and become one flesh, one, one unit, right? Husband and wife. But he delighted in doing so. He chose to do so. And it's a wonderful blessing and a wonderful gift. To us, And we ought to take the time just to give him thanks for, for marriage and do so generally, but then also if you're married, very specifically also to say, and thank you specifically for my wife. Thank you for Liz or, you know, whatever your wife or your, your husband's name is, you know, give God thanks. Say thank you for my spouse specifically. What a blessing he or, or she has, has been to me and just take that time to give God thanks for that. But then also as we think of desiring to improve our marriages, even even if it's like, I know I got a good marriage, I know it's healthy, I know there's great vibrancy, but it can be better. I can take it to the next level. I can, you know, I want to see it grow, I want to see it mature even more to, to, to really take note of these biblical principles we talked about. Love, humility, putting your spouse's interests above your own, being quick to forgive, having that, that good, healthy communication, and just say hey, I'm just going to challenge myself to really live this out, all the more. Even if you're already doing these and saying, I'm doing them somewhat well, which probably is the case for most of us, to say, I I can be better, though. You know, I can be prideful at times. I, I should be more humble, or I can love in a better way, or... Yes yeah, sometimes I do hold a grudge about things and I should be quicker to to forgive, extend that forgiveness, or I can communicate better, whatever it is to challenge ourselves to really grow in those areas and if we do our, our marriages are, are going to thrive they 're going to mature they 're going to deepen and god 's going to be all the more honored and glorified in our marriages and we 're going to be all the more blessed and experience all the more joy if our marriage is growing maturing deepening we're going we 're going to experience and get greater joy out of that marriage you your spouse. There's just going to be all the more abundant joy that flows out of that. Now, I do want to say, maybe you look at these five principles and you say, like, you know, five's kind of a lot to work on at once. Uh, maybe you're more like, I, I like smaller bites. You know, I don't want to bite off more than I can chew. Just give me one thing and, and go with that. Then, If that's you, then fine, great. Say, say I'm just going to focus on one. Maybe it's humility or, or maybe it's love, whatever it is, and just say, I'm going to tackle that one for now. I can get to the other four later, but pick one and say, I'm just going to focus on that and seek to grow in that area for the sake of your marriage that God might be honored all the more in it as it grows and matures that you might be all the more blessed in that marriage as well but I also want to give one more challenge I mentioned this at the outset but this is sort of why I did the sermon this week rather than waiting to next week is I want to give us this challenge as sort of Valentine's Day is a week away and you know maybe it's one of those days where you always do something maybe it's one where you're like "Ugh, oh, Valentine's Day like Isn't that just Hallmark loves that and you have to buy cards and the flowers and do that thing? Like, can I just do that some other day on a day that I decide and not some, like, designated day or whatever? You know, whatever your norm is, this doesn't have to be for Valentine's Day. It could just be sometime this week or next week. But I want to challenge each and every one of us who is married to, to just have some sort of special outside-of-the-norm show of, of your love, your affection, your appreciation for your spouse, right? Whatever that might be, something, not just, something that's not part of your normal routines of ways that you show your love and affection, but sort of something above and beyond, outside of the norm, that you can do for your husband, for your wife, just to show that great love and, and appreciation for him or for her. Maybe that's, you know, you know that, oh, your husband has really wanted some sort of gift, but it's, yeah, it's kind of expensive. He doesn't want to spend the money on it, but you know he'd love it, and it's just like, I'm going to get it for him and surprise him with it. Or maybe it's some sort of nice, special, romantic date or evening or what, you know, whatever it is, something above, beyond. Do that for your spouse, whether that's on Valentine's Day or, or some other day, sometime soon. Do that just as a show of your love and affection. And let's do that. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God thank you for the gift of marriage something that we can easily take for granted but we ought not to and we should recognize it's a gift from you and and just give you thanks and praise for it and and, and thank you especially for specifically for each and every one of us our husband or our wife and just thank you for it Lord I pray that we would also recognize that even if we have a good and, and healthy marriage that it can still grow it's not perfect it's still imperfect, and just to have a yearning desire to see it grow, to see it deepen and mature. And may we hear these challenges, these various principles that we have talked about today, and certainly there are others. It's not that I touched upon every, every single biblical principle for healthy marriage. May we hear these and, and strive to really live them out all the more faithfully in our marriages, that they might grow, that they might mature, that there might be all the more wholeness and thriving in them, that you might be glorified all the more in our marriage and we might experience all the more joy and blessing in them as well, Lord. And I pray that we would also take that challenge seriously, just to show our love for our spouse in some sort of special way in the coming weeks, Lord. Uh, May we take that seriously and live it out. All for you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.